Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Secret Resume podcast, hosted by me, Melody Moore. In this podcast, we explore the people, places, and experiences that have shaped my guests, those which have influenced who they are as people and where they are in their work life today. You can listen in as we have a rich exploration of often unexamined and undiscussed but very important aspects of their lives, or as I like to call it, their secret resume. My guest today is Resh Sean Chattler. Resh is a former accountant and the co-founder of the cult West London Indian restaurant, Chapati Club, which sadly closed in 2022. She now works for the marketing startup Datahawk. She creates supper clubs and pop-ups, and she also mentors and consults with small food startups. Resh lives in Windsor with her partner Hina and their two children. So um, welcome, Resh. It's really exciting to have you here today, uh, this afternoon. Um, uh, You and I met only a few months ago, um, but I was really keen to get you on the podcast because I think that you've got a very interesting story, an interesting secret resume um, that uh, listeners will be really uh, happy to hear about. Thank you for having me, Melody. Um, I appreciate um, your time and um, thinking of me in such a highlight. <laughs> so let's um, let's start, shall we, with your corporate career? Do you want to say a little bit about what you were doing? You know, a little bit about that period of your life. Yeah, sure. Um, I graduated from uni in 1998. Um, studied business and accountancy, Um, didn't really enjoy it whilst I was studying it, but I just felt being being Indian and not being given the choice almost to um, explore anything more creative, I had the choice of being a doctor, a lawyer or an accountant. So I guess I tried to take the most easiest route out, but it wasn't. Um, so I, I studied accountancy, went on to work for BMW, um, and I spent about nine years with them. At the same time, I studied my SEMA exams um, my, in accountancy. And then I moved on and worked for Centrica for about another six or seven years, the like, head of the own British Gas. Um, and then I, I, in between these roles and then my next role, I, I took a bit of a travel break. Um, hadn't really fitted in much traveling so I went from uni to straight into a corporate career um so I got no gap year (laughs) no gap year no gap year so I did a bit of South America and a bit of India and Australia and then um I when I went to India I was like fascinated with I've always been fascinated with food but it sort of really resonated with me because I was actually seeing it happen you know in my face and um came back and I was like oh you know I'm gonna explore I even explored like just going around being um I guess now they are food critics right but back then there wasn't such a noise about it so not mm-hmm. a food critic but just go around go to a restaurant write up about it I thought okay maybe that's what I could do um anyway the job offers were coming in and the money got the better of me so I went back into another career in private equity um and then whilst I was in this career um just before I started actually I met my partner Hina and we at the time you know we knew that we wanted to be together we knew that 
eventually want to have a family. And the whole time I was in private, there was there was no room to breathe, you know, for yourself, let alone trying to think about fitting a family into that mix. Um, time went on, I was probably there for six years, seven years, and towards the end of that period, we did start to try some IVF. Um, I had my ex collected, Hina had her ex collected, we found a sperm donor, and we started our IVF journey. And it just wasn't working, you know. And I think in hindsight, now I look back, I was like, you know, the stress levels are really high, the pressure was on. Um, we were spending a lot of money trying to mm. have this family. Um, and yeah, things, and, and, and it, you know, and it puts you in a really dark, bad place because you've almost always got what you want because you've worked for it, be it your career or your body or. And then you're trying to get the one thing that you really want and you just it's not happening for you. And it, I think for both of us at the time, it, it really did knock us quite a few times. And then it got to a point where I thought, I need, you know, work wasn't helping. I was not enjoying my work. Um, and I just really wanted to explore food and how could we bring the food that we grew up on to a restaurant table in a very casual environment you know nothing fancy but bringing our upbringing you know I grew up in the 80s you know graffiti hip-hop music R&B um old school tables and chairs like how can we how can we create this Indian food vibe but keep it really sort of low budget for cheapy um, and one day I'm just sat at work, go on Dalton's Weekly, and I find this unit in Acton. Um, and was that something you typically did? Look at units? Was it you sort no. of? I think I was just having a really bad day. Yeah, I was having a really, I mean, yeah, I was always been interested in like properties and stuff like that. But no, I think this is one fundamental day. I was like, this is a really, I need to get out of here. You know, I need to change, change my life a bit, you know, for the better. And what um, was it that you were trying to get away from? What was what was that environment like? I think I got, you know, for the whole of my life, I, you know, you're just chasing that paycheck almost, you know, and you get to a point when when you can't, when when money is not buying that thing that you want, you think, okay, this isn't money can't buy happiness. It definitely can't, you know. So we thought, okay, we something's got to change here you know your mental health suffering don't really care about the money anymore um something's got to change and opening a restaurant I thought at the time would be like the change that we needed you know um okay. being being creative and doing something that really matters mm-hmm. so I'm gonna pause you there before we dive into the restaurant and how that came about can we talk a bit more about um IVF um and you know when we were talking before you know about uh maybe some of the challenges that you experienced being Indian being gay um can you talk a little bit about about that yeah I mean you know I grew up um in Southampton a very small Indian community where everyone knew everyone my parents um are very um integrated into the Indian community so 
growing up, you know, as a teenager, yes, um, I knew that I wasn't probably going to marry an Indian guy, you know, um, and I was trying to put it off, put it off, put it off, and I'd get, you know, my parents would get phone calls. It was like, and my parents, don't get me wrong, they're not traditional Indian people. They didn't know, they weren't like, you've got to have an arranged marriage or anything like that. They just wanted to see me settle down with an Indian boy. Um, and in my head, I thought, how the f- am I going to get out of this? How <laughs> am I going to get out of this? And for me, I thought, okay, if I leave, so when I went to uni in London, I thought, okay, this is my escape. I'm never going to go back to Southampton. I can live in London, be who I want to be. No one needs to know, you know. Um, I hadn't thought, I thought short term, but not long term into how I was going to do this. Um, and as time went on, you know, I was then sort of in my 30s and I met Hina. And I thought, this, this, is, this feels real. You know, it, I've, this is the time I've got to now present my true self because I was living a lie for 35 years of my life um no one that was close to me actually really knew me they didn't know Mm -hmm. the real me um they just knew Resh you know fun loving likes going out you know um but from my core no one got to know me because I was never going to be truthful with you Um, even your close friends no no maybe one but you know, a lot of my friends, when I did end up telling them, they sort of just rolled their eyes and they were like, yeah, we knew, you know, <laughs> of course we knew. Um, but they were never going to ask me. Um, and when I met Hina, I was like, okay, this this feels real now. This is what I've been probably waiting for. Um, so after a short period of time, I introduced her to my family and it was hard, you know, it was never going to be easy. Um because my parents, they were probably thinking about, okay, what's everyone going to say? What, something for people to talk about in the community. And um, whereas for me, I was done. I, you know, I sort of lived thirty-five years of like living in this like box where I couldn't be myself, and it becomes that thing where um, it's it's not my problem anymore. You know, I've I've got to like let this go, um, and. My parents, yeah, it was difficult at the time. It was difficult for about a month or two, I think, from what I remember. But after that, you know, they spent time with Dina and got to know her. And, you know, like anyone else, she's just a human being, you know, a really decent human being. Um, so then thing, things, you know, slowly got better. And then, you know, we moved in together. We bought a house together. And that's when, you know, the, the thing with the corporate career was getting quite difficult where, I just, you know, I thought, okay, I've changed this part of my life. Um, I now need to move on to the next chapter and do something about this career I'm in that is really damaging my um, mental health, you know? Do you think that um, the kind of braveness it took to to come out and to um, let people know that true side of you meant that maybe you were more able to do that in your career as well? It's almost like aligning everything more to mm. to who you are and what you wanted yeah because even in my cor- in my career no one knew I was gay mm. and, and I couldn't because you're working in a very white dominated male environment where you're trying to climb the ladder and you think right if I now sound gay this is just going to throw it out of the park I've got no hope 
you know so even at work I never came out um and people would ask you know you seen him and it's just like a non-conversation you know because I was so used to it I was so used to just lying you know so to speak um uh then when we you know we got the restaurant you know we moved away from it all and I started and I left the career and moved into the food industry it was almost like I was just leaving this world behind me that um I've almost never been in you know um it's like a parallel universe of some kind what did it feel like to to constantly not be able to tell the truth about yourself? Oh, it's really difficult, really difficult because you're um, you're lying about everything, you know, everything. You're lying about what you did last night, to what you did at the weekend, where you went on holiday, who you went on holiday with. Everything became a lie. Um, just and now it's like, who was I trying to protect? You know um because it wasn't protecting me in any way it was damaging me to my core uh, so yeah <laughs> I, I can't believe I was that person sometimes when I look back I can't believe I'm behaving like that so you because I think it's quite an interesting um story how the restaurant kind of was came about um in the first place so you were having your IVF it wasn't working you mm. have, you had a number of rounds with a number of rounds we'd uh, remortgaged our house um to pay for it all and there was a point where I don't know there was some money left in the bank and I said Tina um this isn't working we need to make some sort of a shift in our lives because if this doesn't work where does us where you know where does it leave us as, as a couple or as a family um and it's almost like we still needed something you know so I went you know so I saw this unit um it wasn't wasn't that expensive in the big scheme of things you know found the chef did the unit up on a really low budget um created the menu and bear in mind I had no idea what I was doing I had never even worked in a restaurant let alone trying to open one um so you'd never waitressed you know no I'd always worked for my dad in his shops um I'd never worked in a food world before I didn't know what GPs were I didn't know what my food margins were I didn't know anything um I yeah I guess I just had this idea and I ran with it um and thankfully Akina's support you know she helped with the design side um we met a chef a consultant chef who helped us bring the dishes we grew up on um evolve them into something that could be sustainable in a restaurant environment and um created a really small menu you know probably about 10 12 dishes on the menu um let's say some more about you said the food that you grew up on so that was Kenyan Indian food for both of you that was your um the food you'd grown up on yeah at home at home yeah so we, you know I, I myself and Hina grew up in very sort of vegetarian um our parents our mothers were ve- are vegetarian um so the food we ate every day was actually I'd say more vegan you know vegans become such a big thing now whereas you know that's what we grew up on you know we didn't have cheese or cream or so in a you know 
in retrospect, yeah, our, our diets were very vegan probably. And um, if we wanted to have, like if I wanted to have a chicken curry or something, you know, I'd run down to my aunt's house on a Saturday and have it there because we knew that, you know, we'd be able to get something there that wasn't vegetarian. And the food, you know, growing up, both Heen and I, because we both were, were both Gujarati and you, you know, your, your mum or your dad would make a big, you know, pot of dal or curry of some kind. And then there'd be chapatis just being made on the go. And we both come from quite big families. So you'd have your mum just stood at the gas stove, like rolling chapatis and cooking them. And, you know, that's where the name for the restaurant came from, because it was like, it was just like a big pile of chapatis on the table, a curry or a dal, and everyone just tucked in and shared. And, um, you know, we felt that was something that was really missing from the food world and the way people eat. You know, I know there's a lot of communities and countries that, you know, yeah, you all get bits of food and you share it, but this is just two things. You get a bowl of dal and some chapatis and that's it, you know, and you just share and that, you know, food, you know, has always brought joy and it's always um, the centre of sort of love, you know, it's like where people connect at the table. So we really wanted to bring that to a restaurant environment to, and that was the reason the menu was quite small because we really wanted to encourage the sharing and um, not make it too complicated. <clears throat> and it was honestly just honest, you know, good food, you know. Um, so when you say sharing, like a, people would share from, you know, the um, the same dishes, you know, it would just be kind of in the middle and people yeah. are diving yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and it was just, uh, and even now, you know, we we, um, we still eat like that at home. You know? um, and it's just a very wholesome way to, because you're, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done or what you, you know, where you come from in life. When it, when you come to the table, you're all the same people because you're all eating the same food, and that was such an important part of what we were trying to create. So you invested your. IVF money in mm -hmm. to setting up the restaurant yeah and then uh, we opened the restaurant eventually we got the keys in December 16 and then we opened the doors in April 17 and a week um so we the way we bought our IVF was like you have to buy like rounds of IVF so we bought like three or four rounds in this last package and uh we had one more go of IVF left and it was booked for uh, we opened the restaurant on the 7th of April to customers and on the 17th or 18th of April we had another round of IVF booked and my stress levels were out of the window like off the Richter because I had no idea you know what the hell I just stepped myself into you know I'd left this amazing corporate career to having zero sleep um just you know trying to make this thing work you know from nothing and um I remember saying to Hina can we please cancel this round of IVF can we postpone it by a month because I I just can't invest my energy into it right now and it wasn't me going through it it was going to be Hina but mm -hmm. emotionally I needed to be very available and I just felt I wasn't um and Hina thankfully said no we've got it booked I've taken drugs it's happening um and for people who don't know anything about IVF it is you know I think it's it's 
easy to not understand the injections, the impact mm-hmm. on your hormones. This it's it's you don't just rock up, do you? No, no you have um, three or four weeks of injection taking, drug taking, scans. Uh, your body feels like it's been hit by a bus. Um, you know, your stomach's swollen. Everything feels tender. Um, and so there was all of that to go with it, and then it then it then it hits your your mental health and your emotions, and you're all over the place. Um, so it wasn't easy on either one of us in that sense. You know, Hina was going to be doing the carrying, um, and on top of all of that, we weren't talking to anyone about it because we'd been through rounds of IVF, hadn't worked, and we're like, let's just keep this to ourselves for now because it's it's hard enough without having anyone asking you. Mm. how's it going you know so um this time you know we went we went into London on the on the 18th had um IVF had the transfer done and um went home and then you have to wait for two weeks and do a pregnancy test and um Hina got up went to the bathroom and then she came in and we were pregnant and um you know five years old now wow wow how did that feel that that was just after the restaurant opened yeah 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 10 days later yeah it was incredible incredible you know um and we opened the restaurant on the 7th of april um and he was born on the 7th of January so it's like the number seven then started like evolving in our lives in a mm-hmm. in a crazy way you know um lucky number seven eh? indeed indeed so tell me a bit about so the you 2017 then you started the restaurant mm-hmm. um did it do well at first how did that first kind of year or so go yeah it was incredible it was incredible you know um we sort of hit the ground running we were busy like all the time people queuing on a Friday Saturday night to get in get a table um you know yeah it just it just blew up and you know I, I don't know what it was I don't know if it's food or us or the music or you know and you know the, the where it was in Acton it wasn't the best spot you know it's quite yeah, it wasn't the best spot, um, but people travelled to come to us, you know, and um, we had the support of the community, amazing community, um, and, you know, things were really good. Things were really, really good. Um, and then, what, three years later, we had COVID. Um, Just before we dive into that, because I know that's yeah. a big, you know, a big in everybody's uh life what was it like having a tiny baby and mm. starting a new business uh it, it for me it was you know it was really uh well he, he then went back to work after a year of having having him and I guess I was able to be at home during the day which was quite key and if you think, you know, if I worked in Liverpool Street, there was no chance I was going to ever see that kid, you know. 
I was I was leaving home at six thirty seven in the morning, not not probably coming back till eight nine o'clock at night. So I think from a family perspective, although you know, although I was working late nights, um, I had the luxury of leaving home at like six thirty seven in the evening. Um, and yeah, I'd come home at midnight or whatever, which was fine. But I had the daytime, you know, I had the daytime to like be at home and be with family, um, which I think that you just can't put a price on that. Mm. Yeah. Knackering, but amazing. I bet. I bet. So you went from working crazy busy in the city, it sounds like, to working crazy busy in the restaurant yeah and doing everything you know I didn't have you know a business partner we didn't have any investment it was all our own money um you have chefs that are another species altogether that you have to contend with um and I think you know what made it what the hardest part of it all was I think you know having to deal with people that you're completely relying on um and the the scary moment of like you'll lose you could lose control to a chef in the kitchen or you know a staff member not turning up to work to put a shift um which would completely rock the boat um and uh we I don't know. It was just, yeah, I don't know how we did it, but we did it. Um, there'd be days like the cold room would break down, or the freezer would break down, or, you know, always something, right? Always something. Um, and you can't plan for these events. You can't plan for things to go wrong, especially in the restaurant environment. Um, there's no disaster recovery plan, so to speak. Um, so we just got through it the best we could. And have you always been someone who's good at at dealing with the crisis or those last minute pivots yeah I'm I'm like a plan I'm a bit of a planner you know like, <laughs> I like to know what's going to happen next I don't like surprises um so but in in the world of hospitality I don't I don't I don't know who there is now but I, I don't know how else you um plan for such things you know you literally have to take each day as it comes and hope that people come and sit on your seats and eat and drink. And they did. They did. They did. And then COVID came along. Then COVID, yeah. Um, I remember driving in, um, I think it was the day it got announced that, you know, things are going to close down and start to close down. I was driving to the restaurant and it was a Friday, I think it was a Friday night, I can't remember. Um, and I remember it just being so busy, like unbelievably busy. And I thought, what is going on? What have I missed something here? Um, but it seemed like the public were tuned into something that I clearly wasn't as a business owner. And it's almost like they foresee that, you know, that we weren't going to be open for like two weeks at the time. And that, that's what we were told, right? Um, but we were so, and even when, you know, even when, you know, time moved on and we did close and we decided initially that it wasn't safe um, for our staff to travel in because a lot of them didn't live nearby, so they'd go on buses or trains and we made the decision not to open at all. Um, 
and then that was in March. So what happened was we um we were pregnant again at that point with our little girl, and Hina was seven and a half months pregnant in March. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the part of me that was so scared because I thought we cannot open the you don't we didn't know what the hell COVID was, what it was going to do. Um, I couldn't risk going in. Um, I couldn't then say to my staff, okay, well, you go in, you know, you guys mm-hmm. open the restaurant. Um, but they, you know, they were the ones sort of begging to like get out of the house, you know, at this point, you know, they're like, look, we're going to be in the kitchen, you know, uh, we're not going to let anyone into the restaurant space. Let's just reopen. So I had to sort of leave it to the team to, to organize that and do that. And, um, I think the community really welcomed it because nothing else was opening at the time, you know. So that was opening for takeaway? Yeah, just takeaway. And had you already been doing takeaway? Yeah, thankfully, yeah. So we were were on all the apps and we were doing takeaway. Um, We then got a contract with the, it was an organisation called Meals for the NHS. Um, So that would be, we'd make pots of food up for them, rice, curry, um, and that would get delivered to hospitals locally. Um, so what we started to do was just on the days we were going to be prepping for the NHS, we opened in the evening for ourselves. Sometimes it'd be two days, two evenings a week. Sometimes it'd be four evenings a week. You know, mm-hmm. just trying to limit the amount of time the you know the team had to leave their house or be outside. Um, How did that come about? The NHS contract. Um. can't remember to be honest I think it might be something just you know something Instagrammy or LinkedIn-y um not that you were in a pub with Matt Hancock (laughs) definitely not (laughs) but um and it it, yeah it was um and that that was really good because um it meant that we didn't have to I don't know it's almost like you want to do something philanthropic back right if you're going to open for yourself it's good to kind of open for another reason too um mm-hmm. and we had a baby on the way so i i guess that meant a lot in that sense um so then our baby girl arrived in may and we were still i'm pretty sure in lockdown at this point quite hard um i was um able to go to the hospital for like the delivery um for like an hour and then got sent home um and then still trying to like operate the business virtually which is difficult you know when it's something that needs physical goods in and out so I remember doing silly little things like going to the restaurant in the middle of the night to drop things off or pick things up just when no one was there right so I couldn't Mm. contaminate myself so to speak um and uh this carried on and then you know the restaurant you know it, it just carried on mulling over really nicely and it tinkered well you know was it um you know were you turning over as much as you had when it, you'd been open uh much yeah just as much if not more yeah because people want people are treating themselves right people are getting an extra this or extra bottle of wine or you know 
just really treating themselves because mm. they didn't have anything else to spend their money on. No, well, they weren't going out, were they? No, no. Okay. So that carried on through, I mean, it's we kind of talk about COVID happened or, you know, it's kind of, I think people are forgetting even now dates and, you know, there was that much change, wasn't there? But that kind of carried on throughout the sort of multiple lockdowns and things that it was uh, did you reopen at any point from uh, people going in and then have to close again or did you just stay I think because of my family circumstances um we we didn't choose to reopen in the windows that they offered mm-hmm. um the only time I remember reopening was for the eat up help out scheme mm-hmm. um yeah people went crazy you know um and then we we continued it we continued it ourselves into september as a bit of a marketing ploy um and then then it was open shot open shot for like the rest of that year another year i can't remember now but um a lot of opening and closing you know a lot of bookings losing a lot of booking losing a lot of money losing a lot of stock it was quite insane you know and then then staff you know being furloughed not being furloughed and it just got things things got quite complicated in that sense um and that was 2020 2021 we got through it um it was very difficult it was a very difficult year because the opening and closing but you know we did everything we could in our power to like keep the place running and um then it got to 2022 so about a year ago um and things were just going from being okay to bad and then going from bad to worse and I think people just that habits changed you know habits changed not getting takeaways as much not eating out as much not treating themselves as much in in that sense maybe they chose to go on holidays instead or go elsewhere um and I think being a sort of community-based restaurant that that was the hit we took um at that point so you had reopened to guests in the restaurant yeah. at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. But things just slowed right down. Very much so, yeah. And the same on the takeaway side? Yeah, yeah. It's um, takeaways got worse. Um, <clears throat> and, it's, and it's difficult because, you know, you have to have your team in no matter what. You can't mm. plan for having a quiet night you don't know when that quite might not you know might come so it was a real shocker I think to have this amazing business that was real buzzing that had a vibe to oh shit you know been really quiet and then that conversation continued for a number of months you know and on Friday Saturday nights we you know we'd be turning people away normally and we were struggling to fill the fill the place um and this carried on most of last year into the summer. And then I knew that the summer was going to be hot. Um, and normally summers don't really impact us because people still want to eat curry. Um, but I thought knowing that we'd been so quiet into going into a really hot summer, it was going to kill us. Um, so then we decided we were going to just pull the plug on the place and close down. Because we were just hemorrhaging money at this point, you know, and it was it was getting to a point where how am I going to pay the staff next month? Mm. Which is a horrible feeling. 
then last July we uh, closed, the closed the doors officially, yeah. And what does that feel like to kind of have that dream that you had and having to walk away from it? Yeah, it's soul destroying because it's something you've um, dreamt of. Well, for me, I've sort of dreamt of it my whole life. Um, taking it to the point where, you know, it's reality. Um, investing your own time, your own blood, sweat, tears and money into it. Um, and, 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 you know, future-proofing it in the sense that thinking, okay, um, this is... This is, this is something I'm doing for the, you know, this is something Ian and I were going to do for the kids, right? We wanted them to sort of have it as their legacy almost, you know, because it felt so good, you know, it felt so right. Um, so when we did close, yeah, I went into a little black hole for a couple mm. of weeks for sure. It's a little while ago since it, um, since you closed, and I wondered if you had any thoughts on things you would have done differently advice you'd give to others any reflections on that uh things I'd do differently um I, I say this and I don't know if it's the right or wrong thing to say but possibly should have scaled a bit quicker mm-hmm um because I feel that could have been one of my biggest fallbacks you know there was opportunities there was um not investments not investors not investment but you know people that I would have had support from um and I think I probably should have moved quicker earlier mm-hmm because I think possibly things might have been a bit different for me. In what way? Uh, you know, um, it's just the scale of the economy, right? If you, you know, I studied finance my whole life and I didn't put it into play, which, you know, I kicked myself about. Um, but I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't. I don't know if that what would have been the solution to all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, having had a really small family at the time as well whilst this was all going on it meant my focuses were much more on what what was probably going on at home than okay how am I going to scale this business mm. um and but don't get me wrong I don't regret that um my family will always come first um but who knows who knows maybe find out in another life and what are you doing now what's your current focus where are you spending your time um I'm currently working with um a startup um still in the hospitality world marketing CRM um so doing some work with with them and also um still a bit of tiny bit of consulting work for small startups um doing some mentoring for again small hospitality startups which I'm really enjoying seeing other people flourish Mm -hmm. really nice yeah yeah I bet 
and you can bring all of your experience both good and bad yeah to to the consulting and advice you're giving to them okay so speaking of advice uh if I was to ask you to give some advice to your younger self any age younger self what might that be um I think it would have been you know just be so cliche but you know really being more true to yourself as soon as you feel the need to um because I think all I did why by you know not talking about myself or not coming out or I've just hindered my progression so I felt you know when I was the age of 35 36 okay I'd come out I'd come out in a relationship um and then it's almost like I speed tracked everything that I was waiting to do for the 20 years prior to that Mm -hmm. because I think having a restaurant and not have been fully out would have been so hard you know if you're going to run a business you really need to be true to yourself you know I, I don't I don't appreciate people that are business owners and where you can't really see their personality and I think mm-hmm. the restaurant for, for us really showed us as people mm. so I think um yeah just uh come out as soon as you can and live your life okay love that and what would the title or a strap line for your story be do you think would you my favorite band in the world is soul to soul (laughs) and um my anthem for life has always been keep on moving Mm -hmm. and it's my favorite song in the world um yeah I I it's it just resonates so well with me and if only I'd taken that advice when that song first dropped Mm -hmm. that would have been ideal but I think that's what it was I think I loved the song so much from when I was a kid um and it's like it sat with me so well but I knew that I couldn't um but now yeah keep on moving keep on moving Thank you, Resh. I'm going to finish now. Thank you so much. I have no more questions. Uh, You'll be glad to hear. So thank you for sharing your story. It's a very personal story and you've been really honest and open. So I really do appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you for your time, Melody. You've been amazing. Thank you. I was really struck by Resh's honesty and ability to talk about some really difficult and challenging parts of her life. Uh, You know, the challenges of being gay and Indian and um, hiding uh, a large part of herself from everyone in her family, her friends and the corporate life and and how damaging that was to her in the very core of her being. And also the devastating loss of a business that clearly she and her partner Hina really loved and really enjoyed and which had been a really long time ambition for them. I, I can't uh, begin to think about how difficult that must have been. And I really also enjoyed not just the um, the difficult challenges that she talked about, I was really drawn in by this, uh, the restaurant that they created. And I really love this idea that it doesn't really matter where you've come from or who you are. Um, 
that you're the same person um, or that you're all equal when you sit down to the table because you're all eating the same food. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Secret Resume. If you did, remember to like, share, comment and subscribe as that helps people like you find people like us.